Welcome to North Boston Korean United Methodist Church. Here we are a family that seeks to love others the way Jesus loved us and raise people up in his love. We are grateful to have you listening. Regardless of who you are, you are welcome here. For more information, check out our website at mbkumc.com. makes me I don't know this is kind of this is a kind of Sunday that uh, if you would take a recommendation from me this is the kind of Sunday oh I have not changed that calendar maybe so anyway um it is almost it is that calendar needs to be changed and y'all's calendars needs to be changed because it is now May happy May um I cannot believe this is our second May but uh, yeah, you know, today's the kind of day, if you take a recommendation of food from me, today's the kind of day you have pho. Uh, you know, you look at this weather and it just screams Vietnamese rice noodles. You know what I'm saying? Just screams that aniseed. Let's not think about it right now. Think about it afterwards. We pause our stomachs for a little bit. Sorry, just, you know, it got to the kogi and I had to stop. Uh, but we are... Continuing through our sermon series on Jonah. I know it was a lot last week. Uh, yeah, y'all should have been here. It looked like <laughs> this place looked like something had hit. <laughs> uh, it was not good here. Uh, so I hope y'all were okay. I hope y'all are doing okay. Um, before we start with our sermon series on Jonah, um, in the midst of just a hello, a loving hello to everybody, I just wanted to take a minute. Uh, oh, I'm not wearing, whoa, I'm not wearing my, I just want to take a minute, about 30 seconds to a minute or so. We're going to take this time to pray for India. Uh, India has been just going wild with COVID cases. They have been hit really hard amidst really deteriorating uh, governmental infra infrastructure. Uh, we're no, we're no better than them, but at the very least, I think our church needs to learn. We need to learn how to care for people that we don't see every day. So let's just take this time let's just take this time to pray for for the people who are in the country of india let's just pray for the, the it has a pretty solid christian population as well uh so let's pray for india let's pray for the infrastructure people who are hurting people who have lost their loved ones praying for the church of india uh praying for their reaction that our brothers and sisters would not be overwhelmed but that they would be able to witness to the love of god so let's just pray starting now Thank you, Father God, for uh, who you are. We thank you, Lord, that you are so God uh, over this situation. God, I just pray right now for the country of India. We pray for it, Father, every single person who has lost a loved one, who is hurting, who is sick. God, we just pray, Father, for your healing that only can come from you in the name of Jesus. We pray, Father God, for your love to pour out, Father God. We pray for the Church of India, God. We pray that the, the our brothers and sisters over there, Father God, that they would not be overwhelmed. God, I pray that you would hold their hands as they serve, as they care for others. God, I, I just pray for your love uh, just to shine light on them, Lord. We just pray, Father God, that they would um, not lose hope, uh, that they would not lose sight of uh, of you, God, but Lord, that they would be able to hold on to you, Father Lord, and that they would be able to witness the love of God to everyone. So Lord, we pray for India. We trust that they are in your hands, Lord. We pray for healing. We pray for your mercy. God, have mercy on us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. We're going to 
continue on in our sermon series through the book of Jonah. Last week, it was a pretty long sermon, but this week, I think that there needs to be a lot of reflection in this. Uh, so if you guys normally don't take notes, uh, if you have, uh, you know, your notes app on hand, or if you have a notebook on hand, if the notes app is going to be distracting and you're going to, you know, you're going to be able to slip into Instagram or your messages. Um, if you guys can just grab your nearest notebook, your nearest journal. Um, this is a really contemplative, reflective uh, sermon because we are reflecting on the prayer of Jonah. And so if you guys can open up your Bibles with me to Jonah chapter two, Jonah chapter two. Jonah, we all pulling it up together. Jonah, Jonah is after Obadiah in the Old Testament before the book of Micah. We read Micah for Advent. Jonah, I'm just going to be reading. It's a short 10 verses, 11 verse. Is it 10? It is 10. In the Hebrew, I think it's 11, but... Uh, we're just going to read through um, these 10 verses of Jonah. I know we're not reading God's word together, but if you guys can hold God's word with the reverence that it is due right now, if y'all are distracted, now is the time to pay attention. Let's all uh, be reverent before God. This is God's holy and perfect word. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. Oh, I love that. I'm going to read that one more time. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of she Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought my life from the pit. Oh Lord, my God, when my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But with the voice of thanksgiving, I will set, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish. And it vomited Jonah out onto, upon the dry land. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you just join me in praying? Abba. Abba, we're so grateful for you. Abba, we're so grateful for your love your kindness and your mercy. Abba, please be with us. We are all no better than Jonah. Abba, as we listen to your word, as I preach your word, Abba, open up all of our hearts corporately as a body 
to receive the words that you are giving us. May we fear nothing other than you, God. Abba, we love you so, so much. We truly, truly love you so, so much. So wake us up. Help us to focus on this word. We give you glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. So for those of you guys who may not have been here or may need a refresher, we went over Jonah 1 last week. Jonah 1 is thick with maybe six C's. Um, Jonah 1 is extremely thick, okay? Uh, just TLDR. TLDR, I realize I can't just say these things, these things. Too long, don't read. It's a Reddit term. So TLDR, okay? In synopsis, in summary, God gives Jonah a command to go. Jonah says, nah. He runs away. He goes onto a boat. God flips that sea upside down. The non-Christians are telling the Christian, yo, pray. Jonah's like, oh, there's a storm. And they cast lots and it falls on Jonah. And Joe says, Jonah says, hey, I'm a Hebrew. I fear God. It's because of me. Cast, throw me over the boat. Uh, they're like, no, we're not going to. And they try to catch, get it to land. But God literally does not let the boat move. And they say, okay, we got to throw you over. Lord, I'm so sorry. I, they don't even know who God is at this point. But they're like, God, clearly you are a crazy dude. Please don't hold this death over our heads. You are the one that is asking us to throw them over. They throw Jonah over. The whole sea goes completely silent. It's sunny again. There's no storm. It's like nothing ever happened. They're like, what the hell happened? And Jonah gets swallowed up by a fish. So that is Jonah chapter one. Um, so <laughs> it's a little wild. We talked a lot. We talked a lot last week about how Jonah was more loyal to his nation, to his people, to his values than the Lord. And he chose to run away from God for the things that he was loyal to. And today we are going to see the prayer of a man who is in the belly, which is a good place, not a good place to live, but a good place to learn. And so Jonah's prayer, I think, reveals even more details that is actually very conveniently left out. I don't know, I can't explain the full artistic um, reason, for the full literary reason and technique for this, but there, the, the, obviously up until the moment Jonah is thrown overboard, it's explained in detail, but Jonah's experience is not explained except in this prayer. And so we see that for the first like seven verses, Jonah is just talking about what he experienced. So I'm going to read the first seven verses over. It says, I called out to the Lord out of the, my distress and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol, which is death. That word means death or it's not just Sheol. It, it can also be pronounced Sheol. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried and you heard my voice for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God.
And so we see a very, very descriptive account of how Jonah almost died. Not all of us have had near-death experiences. I suspect that a near-death experience is traumatizing. Um, I don't know. It's just a just a random guess, but you know, I feel like a near. I feel like a near. No, it's not a rant. It any near-death experience is traumatizing. Okay, um, and clearly we see Jonah's trauma here. Um, but in the in the writing of how Jonah explains the situation that he was in, we see Jonah's, the state of Jonah's heart and how hardened Jonah really is. He says the waters enveloped over, oh no, no, no that's verse six. But he says your flight, the first thing to note about Jonah's language in his prayer, like if, wait, let me preface this with this. When you and I pray, when you and I talk to, like, let's say I'm going through something and I talk to Andy or I talk to Grace and I'm like, you know, like, God is with me. I have the Lord. But then you pray on your own to God. Our personal prayers to the Lord is really going to be most reflective of where our heart is at. And I think one thing that's really important about the fact that in the middle of this book, the narrative, liter it's literally like the literature is paused for a different type of Hebrew. So in the middle of narrative Hebrew, it's just paused for poetry, okay? It's just paused randomly for poetry. And it's like this insertion of Joah's perspective. Up until now, you don't really get to see Joah's perspe Jonah's perspective, but here it gets inserted in. And in here, we, we get to see the state of Jonah's heart really well. And so the first thing that we get to see from Jonah's language is the way that he addresses God. You know, in, in this, in this situation of like near death, where he literally almost dies, y'all, he almost drowns, but then he gets swallowed up by a whale. Do y'all know what it's like to get swallowed up by a whale? I don't know what it's like to get swallowed up by a whale. I suspect that it is traumatizing. <laughs> I suspect that it is all traumatizing, okay? And so, in the midst of, you know, Jonah's traumatizing situation, we see that Jonah says, your flood, your billows, your deep. Jonah, we see here that Jonah identifies this near-death experience, this trauma, this suffering. Y'all, when people are going through trauma, your initial reaction is not, oh, this person has sinned. It is still suffering. What Jonah is going through here, yes, it is suffering that is that he inflicts on himself because he chose to um, disobey God so blatantly. Um, especially in Old Testament, y'all, you know, he's, he's really trying it, you know? He's really asking for it. But even then, he's going through a traumatic experience. This is suffering for Jonah. But we see here that Jonah identifies his suffering with God. Not only that, he claims it as God's. It's God's billows. It's God's torrential storm that God inflicts on Jonah. We see the emphatic words that Jonah uses. Um, even in, I know there's something, you know, we learn it always, in, not always. All of us should have learned it in middle school. But we learned something called literary devices. 
And here we see something called personification. What is personification? What is personification? Kavana, what is personification? Yes, she said when you characterize a non-personal item with a person, um, that is correct. Non-personal item, like a non-animate item. When yeah, you give, animate. yes. <laughs> yeah, 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 inanimate. Uh, when you give um, living characteristics or often human characteristics to an inanimate object, that is a literary device, right? In the Hebrew, this literary device is amplified. So Jonah is like, in poetry, like to put it into perspective, he's just not like, you threw me into the deep. He's like, you throw me. The deep enveloped me. The weeds wrapped around my neck. It oh, wrapped around my head. And, and then there's some language here that I don't have. I have it. I, ha I translated um, five of these verses. It was weeds wrapped. Oh, the waters enveloped over my life. That's actually a, um, it's an idiomatic phrase in the beginning of verse six, the waters enveloped over my life. It's actually saying like they, they choked his neck. It translates as enveloped over my life, but it's like, you're, ch you're like choking my neck when I was fainted away. Like it's this understanding of like being choked. Um, and then weaves, weeds were wrapped about my head. Like it's very, it's like, Oh my God. Like Jonah is being, a, I don't mean, a, I don't, I would never call anybody's trauma, um, dramatic, but Jonah is being a bit of a drama queen here in his language. Um, not because he is dramatic, but because the situation that he was in was dramatic. And so he's using this personification to really highlight, um, and what is he highlighting? What is Jonah highlighting? As a side note, it's really important to, like when you feel like somebody's being dramatic, it's really important to, rather than being like, yo, stop being dramatic, it's really important to actually think about what they're being dramatic about. Um, that's always a moment of clarity for, for you. If you, if you ha are a person that is a feeler and you find yourself getting really caught up in your feelings, always ask yourself in the middle of your feelings, what am I getting dramatic about? And that will help you. Or like, what am I feeling deeply about? What am I getting caught up in my feelings about? Uh, and that will really help you to understand where you are at and why. And so, um, one, one really important thing to do here is like, why, what is Jonah dramatically emphatically talking about? He's not just talking about his suffering. He's actually highlighting the fact that he was almost dead. So what is traumatizing Jonah? Isn't just the fact that the waters enveloped him. It isn't just the fact that he went through pain. It's that he almost died. He almost died. And we, and he talks about this reality of the pit. Um, the language in the English translation of this passage it's it's a little difficult in the hebrew this passage um so i believe in verse seven no it's six here weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains period i went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever um but it's actually like i translated it as 
The wheat, like the waters were enveloped over my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head, period. To the base of the mountains, I descended to the underworlds whose bar, whose bars shut behind me forever. Um, so it's the base of the mountains is not just about the fact that Jonah almost drowned, but this understanding of the base of the mountains, I descended to the underworld. It's actually tied. So I don't know why, I don't know why the ESV translates it there, but if you can put your, the period, actually a clause earlier. So it's the deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head, period. To the base of the mountains, I descended to the underworlds whose bars shut behind me forever. Uh, so like that, that understanding is, is very important that this base of the mountains bit is not actually about, because if you read it next to the weeds being wrapped about his head, you might be like, oh, he's talking about the desolateness, the pain that he was experiencing. But, but what he's actually talking about is the fact that he almost went to, like he almost died. You know, his soul almost passed into the next life. He was saying, I was at the edge of the underworld. Um, the base of the mountains is not a reference to the bottom of the sea. It's actually a reference to the underworld. Um, and that I, I translated it as the land. So it says, I went down to the land, but the land, um, when you really look at the language of it, it's, it's actually talking about the underworld. I went down to the land whose bars closed behind me that that that's that's a direct reference to the underworld and that's why i translated it that way and so uh the reason why i'm i, I normally don't do this but re the reason why i'm explaining to you my specific translation of the original text is because i think the esv misses this highlight of the underworld um the significance of this is that jonah almost died why why is it important that Jonah's contextual emphatic language is towards death. Jonah, I'm going to say something about this prayer. This prayer is written in the, in the same language as Exodus 15, which is the song of the sea. Uh, that's Miriam's. It's huh, another side thing. ESV says it's Moses's song it's miriam's song miriam was the worship leader here it's a girl the one who that's supposed to be miriam's so anyways exodus 15. so jonah models this prayer and this psalm this it's a it's a song that's why it's in poetry jonah models this song slash prayer after exodus 15 song of the sea we see we see a lot of parallels in the language there you know, in Exodus, the, in Exodus 15, it says, you know, the floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The, hood, the floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. You know, it's just, it's the Lord is my strength and my song. He's become my salvation. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you've redeemed. You've guided them in your strength to your holy abode. So it's like very, very similar language to Exodus 15. Exodus 15 is a thanksgiving psalm of the fact that God delivered them. Exodus 15 is the song that the Israelites sing after they have crossed the Red Sea or like after, after they have been set free. It, it is a song that is, that is directly related to the thankfulness of the people of Israel when God delivers them from the hands of Egypt, okay? 
And Jonah chooses to use this language for his psalm. So spoiler alert, this is supposed to be some semblance of a Thanksgiving psalm. He is borrowing language here to, to pray. There's also theology there. You can borrow language from scripture to pray. If you don't have words for yourself, it's okay to borrow language from scripture. Jonah borrows language here from Exodus to pray. But what he's thankful about is tied to what he's being dramatic about, right? And what he's thankful about is not that God has saved him from pain. The reason why I clarify this is because we live in prosperity gospel culture, right? What he is clarified about is not that God saved him and delivered him from pain and suffering. Death equals judgment in the Old Testament. Death equals stepping over into, there is no more, like, your trial period is over. You're, you're before the Lord. It's done. All you have left is to own up to what you did in the transient and have that impact your eternity. So imagine Jonah disobeyed God and went on the suicide mission and actually successfully committed suicide. That's it. The last thing he did was disobey. He says, the weeds were wrapped about my head. Your flood washed over me. I was dragged into the deep, right? Like I descended to the underworld, to the base of the mountains, which bars shut behind me forever. Yet you brought up my life from what? Pain, suffering, the pit, oh God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you to the temple of your homes. And so we see here that death, judgment, the place of no return is what Jonah is thankful that God saved him from. We see here clarity in Jonah that hadn't existed in chapter one. When Jonah is confronted with the wrath of God in this storm, we see here clarity in Jonah. The reality of the pit, it sucks, right? You know, the, the craziness of the storm, it sucks. When we are stuck in terrible situations and circumstances, it sucks. But what really sucks most of all is being cut off from the Lord. That is where we see God's mercy. It's like, you know when, I don't know, actually, I can't say you know when because a lot of you guys haven't done this, but you know, when I was, when I was at the peak of my rebellion, I actually left my house and I lived away from my parents uh, for about a year, close to a year and a half. And then I moved back in for a couple months and then I went off for college and I've actually been out of the house since the age of 18. Um, I haven't lived with my parents for the past eight years including those time it's been nearly a decade. 
Um, and in that decade, I have in- improved greatly in my relationship with my parents. But let me tell you, what sucks, like as much as I was um, displaying my independence, as much as I was displaying you know, myself and like establishing myself and asserting myself as an adult, what really sucks when you're away from your parents is not just, you know, the fact that you don't, you have to make your own food, you have to do your own laundry, you have to buy your own groceries, you have to do your own chores. But what really sucks most of all, when you cut yourself off from your parents is the loss of relationship. We always act like, oh, like to be, to cut this person off in my family, I don't have to deal with this person anymore. Like, I don't have to deal with my parents anymore. I don't have to deal with what they have. But what sucks when you cut yourself off from your family is the loss of a relationship. We might act like that doesn't mean much to us in the moment. But let me tell you, in any given point, when you cut yourself off from your family, it hurts later on. Right? And we see here that Jonah, Jonah, obviously the pit sucks, but what sucked the most for Jonah is being cut off from the Lord, knowing that this was judgment for him. And yet God gave him the belly. So we see this change of heart in Jonah, right? This is a change of heart. And one other thing that's really important to clarify about this is this, there's this change in the way that Jonah sees this relationship. There's this change, like Jonah gets caught up in this storm. He gets swallowed up in this belly. And so he talks to God for the first time. And he's not just talking to God and complaining. How do you pray to God when you're going through suffering? I complain. Do you complain? We all probably complain. Reality is, is God, why are you doing this to me? What did I ever do? Um, But Jonah actually talks to God for the first time here in a Thanksgiving psalm, right? As I explained, he borrows the song of the sea here. But one really important thing to actually address that actually explains where Jonah's at is what I was talking about earlier. The way that Jonah addresses God goes back and forth between the second and third person here. So it goes like your billows, your waves crash over me. And then it's like the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. But he's praying to God. It's like Andy's right here right now, but it's like if me, if I go, hey, Andy, how's your day? How you doing? Oh my God, Amy, Andy's such a great guy. Oh my God, Andy's such an amazing person. Or like if I'm pissed at Andy, right? It's like, oh my God, Andy, why does Andy suck? <laughs> to Andy saying, and do you, do you see how uncomfortable that is? Right? Like, why would anybody ever do that? If I ever did that, Andy would look at me like I had five heads. Right. He'd be like, yo, it's kind of almost disrespectful, too. But like, this is how Jonah, it gets re, he gets really conflicted with his closeness to God. It just reminds me sometimes, sometimes Grace does this thing where when I, when, when she feels called out by the sermon or if we have a conversation, she feels called out. She doesn't know how to look at me in the eyes for the next like day. So even when she's talking to me, she looks at Amy. So she'll like look at Amy but her words are to me, you know what I mean? And sometimes it gets really confusing because I'm like, she's talking to Amy, but then I'm supposed to respond. Like there's a gap, there's an awkward silence and I'm like looking at everybody and everybody's looking at me because I had to say something back, but I wasn't looked at. So I didn't know that it was addressed to me. It's kind of like that. I'm not, wait, I'm not saying that I'm not throwing shade. 
I love you. I'm not throwing shade. It was just, it's a good, it's a good example. Yes. So sometimes, sometimes when we get wrecked by something or when we, you know, we often do that to the Lord, right? When we, when we, when God addresses things with us, when we have to confront certain things, sometimes we get confused about our relationship with God. And so there's this confusion of closeness and his relationship with the Lord, right? And he's growing a deeper understanding of how God is still with him, even as he's in the belly of the fish. We see here, it switches the third person. It literally goes, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you, to the temple of your holiness. Those who follow after vain vanities forsake their hope of covenant love, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you that which I vowed I will make complete. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And we see here that there's this like switching back and forth of second and third person. Right where, when. There's less of this before, but where does this happen more? When Jonah is finally addressing God's love for him. When Jonah is finally addressing who God is. When Jonah is finally facing God about something that he did not want to face God about. He starts freaking out and we see it in his tenses. And it's becoming clear that Jonah is freaking out about the fact that the Lord is by his side, no matter how much he might want to run away. And I want to address something. I was addressing this a little bit over here. This is a Thanksgiving Psalm where Jonah is freaking out or where Jonah is thanking God for God's mercy. This is an interesting situation where Jonah has so much clarity. I want to pause and I want us to think on our lives for a second. Would you rather be in a situation where everything is good and you have no self-awareness spiritually? Or would you rather be in a situation where you have to confront a lot of things and it might feel like the belly, but there is clarity? Let me tell you right now, if you are sitting in your complacency, in the middle of the belly, it's time to wake up. Because God's mercy for us is not comfort. God's mercy for us is not things happening in the way that we want to, in the time frame that we want to. That is our pride speaking louder than salvation. Okay? God will do what he has to for us to have clarity about where we're at. And we see clarity here in Jonah that even though Jonah has gone through trauma, he understands that the biggest traumatic thing that he has just avoided is being cut off from the Lord. That the Lord chose to mess up his life because remember in Jonah chapter one, what was Jonah running away from? It wasn't just his calling that he was running away from. Jonah in his loyalty to his people was running away from the presence of the Lord. And God, even if it's a storm, even if it's a belly, he chose to intervene with a difficult situation to show Jonah what? That God has not left him. That God is here and he's forcing Jonah to look at him. Oftentimes we think that when life is going well, that God is with us. No. Sometimes it is in our pit 
It is in the base of the mountains. That is where God is turning our vision onto him. Stop relying on this world. Stop having these priorities on people. Stop having these priorities. Stop idolizing your relationship. Stop idolizing your significant other. Stop idolizing your family. Stop idolizing your children. Stop idolizing your parents. Stop idolizing your future. Look at me. Look at me. Sometimes that clarity is better than your complacency. So we see here Jonah is in the worst situation of his life. There's no more rock bottom than the belly of a damn whale in the middle of the sea. And this is probably, we see here, that at least in this book, we see that this might be the moment where Jonah feels closest to the God, to, to our God, than ever before. And in this situation, Jonah talks to God for the first time. And it's becoming clear to him, and he's freaking out in his prayer. It's becoming clear, it's becoming clear to him how the Lord is by his side, you know, no matter how much he might want to run away. In this prayer, Jonah also addresses his main problem. Verse nine, it says, and I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I know I'm, I've, st I'm stopping. I'm, I'm not relying on the ESV right now. I'm going to rely on my, my own. This is my own translation of Hebrew. Okay. Uh, those who follow after vain vanities forsake their hope, hope of hesed love. Hesed is covenant. It's, um, Everlasting loving kindness. That's the closest way. Everlasting loving kindness slash promise. Promised love. Everlasting promised loving kindness. That's the best way to um, translate chesed. But chesed is, um, it's the deepest form of love. It's like, you know, we have like phileo love, ero love, agape love. Chesed is like below that. Like it's even deeper. Um, and because it's this promise, it's this everlasting promise. And there's this element of kindness and steadfastness. And he says, it says, Jonah says here, those who follow after vain vanities, the word is repeated. It's, it's used first as an adjective and then it's used as a noun. It's those who follow after, right? There's this preposition after. Those who follow vain vanities forsake their hope of chesed. And we see here that Jonah addresses his heart. I want to first address the fact, follow after vain vanities. Now, it translates here as vain idols, and that's actually a apt translation of the ESV. But the reason why I'm using my own personal translation is because the the play on words is supposed to highlight the idolatry. So it's vain vanities. And it's this accentuation of the idolatry that Jonah has. But what was Jonah idolizing here? It wasn't the bag. Jonah wasn't after money. Jonah wasn't after like the dough. Jonah's vanity here is his loyalty to his, to his people and his loyalty to himself. 
We think about vanity as materialism and consumerism because that is something that we struggle with. Our culture struggles with, I struggle with consumerism, okay? I feel like I have everything in my life up until I see an ad. And I'm like, hmm, do I need it? Do I though? You know? Consumerism. And so we think that vanity amounts to that. But Jonah actually addresses the fact that his vanity is his people. The people he loves is his vanity. It's his idolatry. And another thing it says is follow those who, I think, I believe in the ESV, it says seek after or pay regard to. Yeah, so follow. Um, there's this idea of chasing. Chasing. Uh, and and, and here, here's where we get clarity. If y'all want a practical application about identifying your idolatry, here it is. It's in the verb. If you are chasing after something, if you are following after something and your life depends on it and that's not related to the Lord at all, that might be your vanity. It might be your vain vanity. And I love the fact that he uses these particular words because it gives a certain aspect to idolatry that might, we might not have seen before. That this is vanity. That these other priorities, even if they're noble, like even, I mean, even for some people, I'm so sorry, I'm just going to say it. Some people, you know, like helping people in the middle of COVID might take priority over the Lord. Then you need to do a little bit of soul searching. Because helping people during this terrible, turbulent time should come out of your witness. But if your love for people and if your love for justice and even your care for other individuals comes out of something that isn't God, then it might be a vain vanity because you are just satisfying and gratifying your own desire to be a good person. Just calling it out. In myself as well, I'm no different than you guys. I'm no better than you guys. So this is not virtue signaling by any means. But it's just, that's, that's the nuance that comes out of this part of the passage. That even good things, noble things, they are vanities if they have nothing to do with God. So if your love for your family, if your love for your, even your significant other or your marriage, your love for your children, if it extends past the Lord, it's not, and it's not out of your witness, and this is difficult. I'm not saying that this is easy. But at a certain point, when that becomes your idol, it is vain. It is vain. And a key way to identify it is if you're chasing after. And he says here, those who follow after vain vanities forsake their hope of chesed, right? Forsake, they're breaking the hope. Hope is future oriented. 
Jonah is saying something here. He is making a confession here. That in his vain vanity and in the way that he chose to follow after something that isn't the presence of God, and he chose to turn away from the Lord because he had to stay focused on this and fixed on this, he is saying here that he had broken a promise and a hope of a future of chesed. That he had abandoned the love of God. But I, verse 10, with a voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you that which I vowed I will make complete. The words make complete is drawing out the meaning of making good on a promise. He is renewing his relationship, his chesed relationship to the Lord. That which I vowed, I will make complete. He's saying, Lord, I'm sorry, but I'm turning back. I'm looking back to you, God. And this last verse is the only verse in the passage where God's heart is displayed. And it says, it says, and the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out onto dry land. That is the one time we see God's perspective, right? Because the Lord spoke to the fish. That's something God's doing on his own. So there's no way that the reader would be able to identify that, right? So that's getting into the perspective of God. Uh, his plan to evade Yahweh didn't work because Yahweh had seen to that. And we see here that God is listening. Number one, we see here that God is listening from the belly. Number two, we see here that God's mercy has done its part. And so he spits Jonah back onto dry land. Number three, we see here God's plan for him. Because what Jonah needed wasn't death, it was deliverance. What Jonah needed wasn't death or wasn't like what he was trying to, because, and you know what the significance of that is as well? Jonah was asking for it. What Jonah needed wasn't, jo wasn't what Jonah was asking for, but it was deliverance. Do you understand what I'm getting at here? Jonah was asking for this. He's saying, I will sacrifice my life to be loyal to my people. Because I literally cannot do this. And God is saying, look at me. What Jonah needed wasn't death. Wasn't, a, wasn't whatever he wanted coming to fruition. It was deliverance. What Jonah needed was deliverance. Y'all might think, but all this for Nineveh? Nineveh is so sinful, right? We were talking about how brutal Nineveh was. Gouging out eyes, skinning people alive, flaying them. It was disgusting stuff. The Assyrian Empire, disgusting what they did. Absolutely grotesque. Hey, but Nineveh repented. You know, the irony in this book is that Jonah's heart, the heart of the Christian, the heart of the God follower, that heart is the one that is hardened. Not even the people that were doing the wrong things. I was going over, Andy and I, we were doing discipleship. 
And there was a verse that kept calling out to me from Luke about this. And it's that those who are forgiven little love little, but those who are forgiven much love much. And we see here that this good person was more hardened towards God in the middle of the storm than even Nineveh. And it brings this question of who is deserving of mercy. But God, I cannot forgive this person no matter what. This person is just too bad of a person. I cannot forgive them. I don't know, man. I don't know. My honesty is that I don't know. I had people like that in my life too. I had people that I never thought I would forgive for the rest of my life. Those people are my best friends now. I remember how much I hated my mother for all that she had done to me, for all the suffering that I had experienced, for everything, I just blamed it all on her. The biggest dose of humility in my adulthood has been seeing how wonderful of a person she is. I don't know. Who, is, who are the people that are deserving of mercy? I don't know. I just, I don't know. But I do know here that Jonah's heart is the hardened one. How can we apply this into our lives? The first thing is that idolatry leads us to the belly. Vain vanities. What is your vain vanity? Some of us, we would rather God never call us out. Some of us in this church right now might be thinking, and it breaks my heart, I don't, I don't know who would be thinking that, but I just, as I was praying, I got this sense that some of us might keep God at arm's length so that we don't get called out, so we can continue doing what we have to do. Let me tell you something. And I really, truly believe that this is why God wanted us to do Jonah. Just as I pray, and even as I preach right now, I do feel the Holy Spirit with me. I came here, this is what I came here to tell you this morning. The belly, confrontation with God in the valley is better than the complacency that you're seeking. You might want to never get called out to continue to do what you want to do. And maybe when you're 35, maybe when you're 40, you'll take him seriously. God's mercy is the valley for our vain vanities. Because what we need isn't what we want. We see here, Jonah's burnout is renewed in the belly. I, I mentioned last week about how Jonah was burnt out. Not by, and you know, I was reflecting on this, okay? As somebody who has gone through burnout, right? As somebody who is very compassionate about this topic of burnout. You know, burnout is something that is seen to be like a, a bout of suffering 
burn. I'm going to take this off. I don't, um, just to be very honest with you guys, um, burnout is seen to be, uh, suffering, right? And I'm speaking, taking off my blazer figuratively here, just to, just to come before you guys as a human. Burnout is something that is seen to be, you know, about of suffering because of our work we or because of, you know, our family or because of our situation or because of whatever it is that we are going through, whatever it is that we are exhausted by. Burnout is seen to be something that is suffering. But here we see that burnout often has to do with our vain vanities. So if we're feeling exhausted, if we're feeling wearied, what is exhausting us isn't the Lord who has complete control over our lives. What often is exhausting us on that level is what we choose to prioritize in our life. Our well is drying up because these things can't sustain us. And we see that he is renewed from his burnout in the belly. He burns out again later, but for now, <laughs> he, his burnout is renewed in the belly. And he was lost in his own heart about God's call rather than the, rather than, he was lost in his own heart about God's call rather than God's love for, for God's call. Does that make sense? He was so fixated in his love for the people that God was calling him to. Rather than fixing his eyes on God's love, for the people that he was calling him to. And that revealed itself when it got to the point where Jonah was called to a people that he can't love. And so he was burned out by his inability to love these people. Instead of fixing his eyes on God's love for these people, he was trying to show up as a good person and he couldn't do it. So he ran away because that was his limit. But what God was asking him to do was show up for God. See, we aren't called to things for the sake of the other person. We are called to things out of obedience. And Jonah had lost sight of that. And in his skewed understanding of the fact that he had to show up for something, he chose to disobey God because that was his limit. Tie that to verse 9. Jonah's burnout was caused by his following after vain vanities. It's a loss of joy and thankfulness because of a fixation on his wants and personal priorities. God, that's my line. I don't want to go there. I don't want to do that. That's not me. And he turns to God here and he says, I'm sorry I left your love behind in my pursuit of my personal priorities. Do you see that? Where Jonah is healed. Some of us in our burnout or in our weariness, we're looking for healing and we might need to heal. Some of us were looking for mercy. What we might need is repentance just as much. A proper turning to God. We can also apply this into our lives by seeing 
The belly is often God's mercy amidst drowning and falsity. I was just saying this to you guys. It is better to be in the belly than to be in this false safety and drowning. And we see here that even if the drowning was what Jonah wanted, even if to run away, even for the sake of death, to the, to the point of death, was what Jonah wanted, the belly is God's mercy amidst drowning in your idolatry. Your situation, if you are in a place where you're not doing all too hot, you are trying your best to get your own way and you're not doing too hot. The belly is God's mercy amidst drowning in falsity. Sometimes the belly is salvation from drowning in the world, in your own thoughts, in your own priorities, in your own wants. Sometimes, even if it's a tough situation, that is mercy. Sometimes we are drowning in ourselves. We are drowning in our own perspective. We are losing sight of the people around us because we are so fixated on our own pain. We don't see the ways that we are hurting the people around us. We don't see the ways that we are drowning. We don't see the ways that we can be selfish, even as we are burning out from other people's selfishness. Sometimes the belly is salvation from ourselves. It's not a good place to live, but it's a good place to learn. And sometimes the belly is the place where God's presence is the nearest that it has ever been. Don't avoid your valley. That emptiness you feel right here in the middle of your chest as you pursue whatever the hell you want to, that's not by chance. That emptiness you feel, that loneliness you feel, when you've been so caught up on yourself you realize you've pushed the people in your life away, that's not by chance. Embrace your belly, not your actual belly, but yes, that too, embrace your belly, but also embrace your season. The belly is salvation from drowning, often even in ourselves. And allow the forgiveness of God to wash over you. Open yourself up to the Lord. Remember that what's really, really, really the worst thing to happen isn't your confusion, your uncertainty, or your valley, but it's to be cut off from God. Sometimes the belly is what's necessary to receive clarity on that. And sometimes that clarity is what we need. Remember how in the beginning of this passage and in the beginning of the sermon I said, this is a reflective sermon. I recommend that you guys listen to this on your own as much as you can and really reflect on your hearts. 
and turn back to God in the quiet place or even with people. You don't always have to do that stuff on your own. It's not all just about praying to God when you're alone. Do it with people too. If that's what you need, that's what you need. That's fine. We have to get off our pedestals. Because even when we prioritize noble things, you realize the thing on the pedestal isn't the nobility, it's us, right? It's us as noble people. As loyal people. Y'all know that hits home because I'm a loyal person. And loyalty is what I eat. I eat loyalty for breakfast, lunch, and dinners. Y'all know that hits home for me. So I hope you don't take it as a personal attack or anything like that because I don't know where you guys are at. Only God does. But this is what Jonah's prayer points us to. Where are you in the middle of your lives? Maybe some of us, we are in a place of comfort. Maybe some of us are in a place where we are uncomfortable. Maybe some of us are in the valley. Maybe some of us don't know we're in the valley. Where are you? Turn towards God again. He's not just a God of mercy. He's a God of clarity. And as you turn to God in the belly, lean on your brothers and sisters. Don't just be willing to hear their affirmation. Be willing to hear their correction. Because they love you. Every person needs to be corrected. If you don't let anybody speak into your life, then you're going to be blind for the rest of your life. Do you know how sad that is? To not let anybody speak into your life? Then... How are you supposed to build a relationship with somebody? And then on top of that, how are you supposed to ever actually know your blind spots? Let's take this time to pray. I don't know if y'all relate to Jonah, but I relate to Jonah. I think I find myself in this belly once a year. And so would you join me as I also wrestle with you as a sister, would you join me? in praying right now. I'm not gonna pray into the mic. I'm gonna step off here. Or I'm, I'm just gonna be, I'm gonna be stepping off for a couple minutes before I come back and pray for us and we go into a time of response. But I just want us to take this time to really, really genuinely, you don't need to come clean before me. I mean, I, at the end of the day, I'm not God. Um, it off is, as long as you have people that you are willing to hear correction from, like it doesn't have to be me, right? Um, I hope, I really hope that you guys aren't blind to your blind spots. If you, if you, if there are blind spots that are coming alive to you right now, um, your vain vanities that are coming alive to you right now, um, if you are confronted right now for the need for God's mercy, from judgment more than suffering, um, from ourselves more than our pain, um, 
if you are, if some certain things are coming to life and, and this is a moment where you, where God is gently beckoning you to repent, like this is the time to repent. Um, but we're gonna take that time for ourselves. So as we pray, can we just open up our two hands wherever we're at? I don't know if you're standing or you're sitting. I don't know if you're laying down in your bed in your PJs, but if we can just open up our two hands before us, just like this towards the sky and just allow that to be our heart posture as we pray. Uh, let's just be willing to allow God to give us clarity. Let's be willing to see the mercy of the belly. Let's be willing to see his love for us, his desire to intervene in our lives, even if to to, to even if even if that's difficult, even if that's not a nice place to be, that that his willingness to intervene in our lives in the middle of our comforts, in the middle of our idolatry is his love for us. And if we can just face him right now and just uh, realign ourselves, just pray. A, if you need to borrow Jonah's words from verses five through 10, then do that. Just whatever it may be, uh, just let's just take this a couple minutes to just pray. And then I'll close this in prayer. From wherever you are listening, we hope you are blessed by this week's message. For more information, check out our website at mbkumc.com.